Alright, we're rolling in three, two, one. Movie time. Movie time. time. <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody, and welcome to Movie Time Extra. It's the show where we talk about movies with a little something extra. I am your co-host, your editor and producer, host of Paimon as well. My name is Dashiell Marco. And I am your co-host, amateur researcher, and thematic analyst, Tyler Duncan. Today, we are watching two movies, 2018's Hereditary and 2019's Midsommar. Mm-hmm. Both are written and directed by the very talented Ari Aster. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review it on iTunes or Spotify. Make sure to tell a friend. You can also send us an email, movietimeextra at gmail.com, to tell us what you think is a little extra. Tell us what you want to hear. Shoot the shit with us. Send us an email. Lastly, our theme song is by DJ Cutman. And be warned, there will be spoilers in the show. Spoilies! Alright. These movies are extra. These movies are intense. There is a lot going on with them, and this episode of this show is going to be a mouthful. Usually, I don't think we're going to try to talk about two movies at once, uh, but we watched both of these movies in succession after I was kind of inspired to watch them by the Scaredy Cats Horror Show, a podcast by Gimlet. So shout out to them. Uh, Neither of us had seen these movies before, and we decided to watch them together, and we really wanted to talk about them. I have been avoiding watching these movies for two years. <laughs> but they were so good. But they were very good. And I was I was really happy to have a, a good friend to watch them with. Oh. Yes. Thank you, Dashiell. Me too. Thank you. So what we're going to do is I'm going to try to prattle off a just the most briefest, concisest synopsis of these movies as we talk about a few of our favorite scenes that we enjoyed. And then Tyler's going to take us through a little breakdown of what they thought were some of their favorite themes in these movies. <laughs> so we'll start with Hereditary. Hereditary is about this family whose grandmother dies, and we find out that she was a witch and has placed a very terrible curse upon her own family. Uh, this is a dysfunctional family movie. Annie is the mom. Charlie is the daughter. Peter is the son, and Steve is the dad. There's also another character named Joan, but those are pretty much the main characters in the movie. So, uh, we start off, we get just some really excellent foreshadowing right off the bat as the camera pans in on this dollhouse, and I just had to mention that I'm not going to break down every scene in this movie, (laughs) I swear, Tyler, Uh, but that... (laughs) That first shot was really nice. I love how it zoomed in on the dollhouse and then we're just in the movie. The dollhouses are very beautiful and they play a surprisingly integral role. Yeah. In how like this film is set up stylistically. We find out that the mom, um, Annie, just builds dollhouses for a living and makes these little miniature um, exhibits uh, that are really impressive. Like just the the amount of like set work that they put into those little models is really impressive. So we find out really early on that their grandma died. Turns out nobody really liked her that much. She was very mean, evidently. 
And we get a nice little bit of foreshadowing right off the bat as Annie, her daughter, was looking through her notes and we see this note that says, our sacrifice will pale next to the rewards. I thought that was pretty good. It is very good. Uh, there's a scene really early on where a bird flies into the window of Charlie, the daughter's classroom, uh, which is a, a portend of death, I recently learned. <laughs> um, I enjoyed that. And then we get some more pretty good foreshadowing like right in the next scene in Peter's classroom. Okay, interesting. So he thinks he has control. But let's all remember, Sophocles wrote the oracle so that it was unconditional, meaning Heracles never had any choice, right? So does that make it more tragic or less tragic than if he has a choice? Less. Okay, why? Because. And I love this. We're in the son's classroom, in Peter's in, classroom. Peter. And th this isn't like a direct analogy to him, but, and it's interesting because we're going to find out that Peter has absolutely no control over what happens to him. That kid. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's zoning out this whole movie. He's a normal stoner teen, you know, and he's he's not particularly paying attention in class, which I think is also really fun foreshadowing for what ends up happening to him because he's not particularly paying attention to anything. Yeah. And, and and he's in a very perilous situation, it turns out. So totally like yeah. he almost becomes aware of what's happening at the at the end, but it's too late by then. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> we get. Quite a bit of gaslighting right off the bat. That's going to be a big theme in these Ari Aster films um, where Steve, the dad, gets a call telling him that, uh, you know, the family's grandmother's grave has been dug up like three days after they interred it. And he chooses not to tell his wife about it, which is right off the bat was just like, wow. Then the mother forces the daughter to go to a party with the son of the family he reluctantly takes her, um, kind of shuns her off so he can go get stoned with this chick that he likes. And Charlie, the daughter, eats some cake with nuts in it, and it was established that she is allergic to nuts. She starts having an allergic attack, uh, asphyxiating. Peter puts her in the car and just starts driving. There's a deer in the road, and Charlie has her head careened out of the, the car, gasping for air, and as he swerves, her head splats on a like electrical post I guess mm -hmm. pretty gruesome Peter kind of just takes a minute <laughs> like a solid minute right there and he's like it's okay you're okay and just drives home and lays back down in bed but it's it's not okay Peter yeah it's really not and yeah this scene is a pretty big setup for like what I think is going to be the next portion of the movie. This movie's kind of like split into three parts. Uh, we're 36 minutes into it already. Um, and in this next scene, obviously his mother's about to find out what, what just happened. This goes into like the next five scenes. It's very, very well done. Just expression of just grief and utter loss. You get this 
gory shot. Very graphic shot of Charlie's decapitated head. And yeah, now we're in this part of the movie. I think the movie steadily started getting better at this point. Uh, the family just starts losing their shit one by one. Peter, the the son, just really becomes unhinged right away. He has just obvious like PTSD from this immense amount of guilt. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the family's broken. We get some really tense scenes with them like at a dinner table and just yelling at each other. The dad is completely checked out. Both the mom and the son are just losing it. There is this scene when it kind of becomes established that the mom is sleepwalking, and it's a very tense scene. It's very, it was very unnerving, and she sleepwalks into her son's room and sees him completely covered in ants. We don't know if she's sleepwalking or not, and that's also a, a, a reoccurring motive in this movie. Yeah, very. Uh unreliable narrator yeah totally from Annie's point of view oh. <gasps> she's like trying to scream but there's nothing coming out yeah what are you doing what's going on you were sleepwalking I'm sorry. Is Charlie here? And if you didn't think the scene could get worse, it does. Why are you scared of me? What? I never wanted to be your mother. <gasps> Damn. She, she gasps herself. She covers mm-hmm. her own mouth. Why? I was scared. I didn't feel like a mother. She pressured me. Then why did you have me? It wasn't my fault. I tried to stop it. How? I tried to have a miscarriage. Yeah, the scene is very rough. It's also How? established, like, pretty cl- close to However, I could. this I in the movie that she slept walked and covered both of her kids in paint thinner. And, and herself, and and herself, and woke up with a lit match in her hand. That was one of the more shocking kind of just info drops that happened in this movie. Right. That scene was really creepy in a lot of different ways, and it establishes just this really high stakes tension between the mother and the son. Um, meanwhile, the mother has made friends with this woman called Joan, and Joan. St- like they met in like a like a trauma support group for like people who have lost family members and Joan is really pushy with um the mom this whole movie and she gets her to do a séance with her so they do a séance together and it works this lady is doing something supernatural and it freaks uh, our mom just out of her mind and she starts losing it very steadily after this soon after that Annie's becoming pretty obsessed with the seance thing and 
she convinces uh, her husband and son to kind of do a seance with her. And it's pretty fucked. It also works. <laughs> it, might, it, it, it might be working a little too well. Yeah. It's for soon to find out. It's not even revealed till later, but this might not even be a seance as much as she is like unwittingly performing a ritual. I feel like, mm-hmm. like I feel like she's like hammering the curse in at this point. And now Charlie is in her body. Hello? Mom? 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 I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Please stop. What's going on? Mom! Please, you really freaking me out. Please stop. What's happening? Why is everyone scared? Why are you scaring them? Make it stop! Make it fucking stop! Make it stop! So yeah, Peter is like completely fucking traumatized. Uh, her husband is just not buying it. He's uh, just angry. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's just bad. He wants none of this nonsense. He is a uh, he's a psychiatrist. Oh, I didn't even did catch you know, that. Did you catch? That? I did I, not catch that uh, either. I had to read about it. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, he's a psychiatrist. So he's he's you know a clinician of some form he, he doesn't believe in any of this shit he just thinks his wife's bonkers that's a good little detail that i miss that kind of explains a little bit of his reluctance but they not necessarily the gaslighting. It, they could have flushed it out better um after that she kind of realizes what's going on um which is interesting but by all accounts she just appears to be completely crazy her husband gaslights the shit out of her she tries to burn her dead daughter's uh drawing book because she believes it will kind of put an end to all this when she tries to throw it into the fire her shirt catches on fire and shit starts getting really crazy in this movie right around here as there's about a half hour left to go she goes into the attic and finds a body up there i didn't see that coming me neither. at all Mm-mm. um just uh straight her mother's body just chilling in the attic decapitated and, and you know do it you know it's rotting yeah, Shavasana, corpse yeah. pose. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. It escalates into her husband kind of gaslighting her right outside of the fucking attic door. It's like there's a body right up there, and he just won't go up there because he doesn't want to validate her craziness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he entertains her by going down in like in front of the fireplace with her, but he won't throw the her, the book into the fireplace. Uh, she throws it in there, and he just immolates he catches on fire and dies uh peter wakes up and goes downstairs he sees his father's like charred corpse his mom is like spider crawling like across the ceiling like watching him there's like a naked cultist just in the corner of the room and then his mom starts chasing him right up to the attic he ends up in the attic yeah, she is. Um, she's clearly not in control. She actually, um, you you can barely hear it, but as she as she first starts to chase Peter, she yells, "Peter, run!" So that's like the last little bit of control she has of herself. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. <laughs>
just by the time he gets into the attic, she's completely possessed. Mm-hmm. He locks the attic door, and this pounding that we hear as we see the other side of the attic door is her stuck to the ceiling, pounding her head against the attic door. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> that is the sound of her head. It's... Whew. Mommy? Peter looks around. He sees a few naked cultists that weren't there a second ago, smiling at him. His grandmother is one of them. He looks around and sees his mother suspended in midair, kind of garroting herself with like a wire, mm. and completely loses it, jumps out the window, falls, and we assume he's dead or something. He's laying there for about a minute. When he gets up, we find that he has become someone else. Uh, we're in the last like five minutes of the movie now, and these were absolutely my favorite minutes of this movie. It's so beautiful and so creepy. And he's walking up to the treehouse where his sister used to play. And there's just this choir of esoteric music and this weird... I don't know what that is, just like an effigy or a shrine. There's a mixture of decapitated kneeling bodies and kind of obvious desiccated corpses all around. Yeah, this scene just gave me tingles. Yeah. Serious ASMR for the the horror lover. See a picture of their grandmother and it says Queen Lay. And then they take the Burger King crown, put it on his head. BK, have it your way. Yeah. BK, be a be be a king of hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey! It's all right, Charlie. You're all right now. You are Paimon, one of the eight kings of hell. So fucking good. I'm all like devil horns at this point. I looked to the northwest and called you in. We've corrected your first female body and give you now this healthy male host. We reject the trinity and pray devoutly to you, great Payman. Give us your knowledge of all secret things. Bring us honor, wealth, and good familiars. Bind all men yeah, to Yeah, I our thought world. this movie fucking rocked. I really, really liked it. It's very good. It's, like, so original, but also, like, classic themes playing out. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, you want to get into Midsommar? Yes! I like this one better. Really? See, because I like Hereditary and, better. And Dash likes Hereditary better, and that is okay. And Midsommar has a lot wonderful. more going on in it. It does. It is dense yeah. in the way that Hereditary... And Hereditary is already pretty fucking dense, but like it's not as dense as Midsommar. This movie is probably a little bit harder to sound clip concisely, It's because it's extremely long. Indeed. We are going to recap it in probably 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> We're going to try at least. Mm-hmm. We got this. I have a lot more to say about Midsummer too. 
All right, let's get to it. So, so the setup of this movie is pretty weird and awkward and anxiety-inducing. Uh, this clip that we're listening to is from about nine minutes in, as it's been established hey. that the main character, Danny, Danny. her sister is suicidal Babe. and has been sending her worrying messages uh, and hasn't responded. And it's revealed, like, within the first ten minutes of the movie that her sister has committed suicide and taken her parents with her. There's a shot of these firefighters going into the garage as this hose has been taped from the exhaust of their cars. One runs into their parents' room, or her parents' room, I guess their their parents' room. Uh, And the other runs into her sister's mouth. It's pretty gruesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is all revealed like super early on. And I kind of like how quickly it was established that she has like almost nothing left to lose, like right off the bat in this movie. It's literally, she's lost everyone other than Christian. Yeah. And he is kind of just established again in just the first few minutes of this film as being kind of. Like a dodgy, non-committal boyfriend. He's over the relationship, but doesn't know how to go about actually ending it. Yeah, he's like hanging out with his friends, and they're like, "Why are you? Why do you like? You know, why are you reading all our texts? Is that her texting you again? Blah blah blah." And uh, so, like, the gaslighting that's about to happen here is imminent. <laughs> like, it is laid to bear right from the beginning, and it, and it follows that line. get a nice tight shot of her sister's corpse it is not a pretty thing oh and there's uh, four missed messages from Danny on her computer mm-hmm Cue the keening. He hears it as he is walking up in the snowdrift. And there's just this look on his face. Just like, oh, oh god. So that goes on for a while. It does. It's very (laughs) intense. When you think about it in a realistic way, yeah, she would be crying that hard. Um, Then you think about what this actress had to do <laughs> crying that hard. You're like, oh, bravo. Yeah, I think she just, I oh. think she has the best performance in, uh, out of anyone in this movie. And, and everyone is acting amazingly in this movie. Absolutely. She is holding it together so well. But yeah, and then Ari Aster loves putting scenes like this, or at least in these two movies, he puts scenes like this where he really challenges the actors to emote and do it for a long time yeah <laughs> like yeah the, the keening scenes are pretty intense in both of these movies so from here it skips about six months right the yeah timeline. there's a little bit of yeah foreshadowing we find out that christian wants to go to sweden with his friends his friend pele who they are going to sweden to 
observe his uh, village's Midsommar ritual is like the setup of this movie. And then we kind of get into a Wicker Man thing. That's pretty much the setup of the movie. I Very might have neglected so. to say that off the beginning. <laughs> but we get all that pretty quickly within the first half hour. We get to Sweden. Uh, they <laughs> they do mushrooms right off the bat. And there's like the midnight sun effect there. So it's only dark for like an hour or two a day, I think. Uh, yeah, Danny freaks out at that point. I was worried this was going to be a bad trip movie. And it kind of is, but I'm glad that it wasn't from that point. Because I, I was, was like, too, though. Yeah, I no, was like, I oh, totally no. I totally was. I was like, this, there's still two and a half hours to go. This isn't going to be a bad mushroom trip, right? And then she wakes up and it was fine. Yeah. Fuck you, Aster. No, he did not do that. <laughs> yeah, that that scene had me a little worried. So the characters here are Danny, Christian. They're the couple. Pele is their Swedish friend. Their two friends, Mark and Josh. Mark is kind of a fuck off. Josh is taking the the thesis that he's doing on this festival very seriously, and we like him. Um, I think he's like one of the only characters that we like in this movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's a little severe, but he's also like a, a a doctoral anthropology student, and like he's he's here to work, you know, like and and he takes school and like his studies very seriously. Yeah. And there is something that I really enjoyed about that where everybody else there is just there to like party, you know? Yeah, they, they all think that they're going there to party. That is not the case, as we quickly find <laughs> out. Uh, we meet uh, Simon and Inga, who I guess were, long story short, like potential sacrifices. They end up kind of just disappearing from the movie. It's kind of not really su- explained what happens to them until later, but that's fine, whatever. Um, one of my only gripes with this movie was that mm-hmm. their characters didn't get enough attention. Uh, as they're exploring the village, we get this tapestry where we get some like really interesting foreshadowing on what's going to happen. It's all really quick, but I've been told by multiple people that like the entire movie is kind of foreshadowed and uh, concisely like put into that tapestry, and I totally believe it. Uh, we kind of get a good scale for the intensity of this village's religion or whatever it is when we get this scene uh and it's one of the first i guess ceremonies of this um festival that they're doing and this old couple gets perched up on this uh this large cliffside we get this very intense music really enjoyed this uh rising tension right here everyone's just standing and watching them from below it's a really pretty scene. The shots are all really nice. It's a beautiful location. I feel like the music here is used really well to like show the serene, but also like build tension. Yeah. Yeah. And Danny starts breathing heavily, almost like she knows kind of what's about to happen. Yeah, she's having her, you know, 15th panic attack of the movie. Yeah. And this lady up on the cliff kind of looks directly at her from what it seems like. And they watch her jump. Splat. (laughs) We get a splat. (gasps) 
the uh, our tourist uh, stars of this movie are all pretty freaked out. Uh, after that, the old man up on the cliff jumps as well. He doesn't splat as hard, and another one of the villagers walks up with a big-ass mallet and splats him good. Yeah, they finished the job. Things ratchet up from here pretty quickly. There's like a lot of really subtle things happening. Christian finds pubes in his food. It's being foreshadowed that a young village girl has taken a liking to him, so to speak, and then it's established later that she wants to bear his child. It's very forward with that information. Um, The kind of dipshit character, what's his name? Mark. Mark. Thank you. Uh, he, like, pisses on the village's, like, sacred tree. There's a really good scene of the villager just freaking the fuck out on him. And he's like, what? You know, and he's been just vaping the whole time. Oh, God. <laughs> His douchebaggery knows no bounds. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Uh, characters start disappearing at this point. We don't really have to talk about how they go missing, but they kind of go missing one by one. I wish there was just a little bit more of seeing how the characters disappeared and got separated. Mm-hmm. Probably my only real gripe with this movie, just for how long it is. I just wish we got a little bit more of that. Danny starts doing this Wicker Man May dance, uh, dance till you fall. The last lady standing is the May Queen. Her and Chris like kind of separate at this point as she's being like drawn in to uh, you know just the ritual or whatever's happening here. And her and Chris separate in that they are on different paths from this point out in the movie. Absolutely. Um, there's about an hour left, and at this point, Danny is the last woman dancing, and she becomes the May Queen. Chris is just standing there in this same gray shirt he's been wearing this entire vacation. They packed light. <laughs> Oh, he's been wearing the same shirt the whole time. I think I rec- I realized it right in that scene. Mom? Mom? She thinks he, she sees her mom right here. And then... Pele just gives her a big old passionate kiss on the lips. Yeah. Uh, and... Just she's like look she's looking around and she's like in awe of like the adoration that she's receiving. And that's why I thought this was like a really cool clip. Yeah. She gets onto this this little pallet and they start carrying her away. Yeah. She's gonna go bless the crops. <clears throat> uh this the adoration that you're talking about, so this is actually something that is referred to in um cultist studies and coercive control circles as love bombing huh and so she's being love bombed so that she sees the this community as the best thing that's ever happened to her totally and it makes sense because i don't think that she's ever been treated like this before nope (laughs) um they carry her off and she is like the may queen at this point we would be remiss if we did not play a really quick c- clip from this scene where 
they they have walked her up to this dinner table. They're all sitting at, at the, the dinner table. The dinner table scenes in this movie are amazing. We didn't really play any clips from them, but they all just have this weird ritualistic aspect to them of how they eat and how coordinated they all are in their movements, which I thought was really well done. They are an organism. Yes. They are a one living unit. Exactly. And, and we learn that like very, very soon. early on. You see how deeply like pagan and like animistic they are and in like but in this very like scientific almost way totally because they they are so one with their environment and they they're all like sitting sitting down and it's like how chris christian has this feeling of separation because he kind of just awkwardly walks up and sits down as their attention is all focused on the danny excuse me and he's tripping balls what's going on <laughs> and this villager dude just claps in his face and we get this trippy little just reverberation go through him like a dog being scolded he is just like having a very bad time at this point that old man is my favorite character in the movie yes he was uh, <laughs> this is bad. our favorite scene collectively mm. i think from this i movie. think so too we laughed so hard when that old man clapped in his face oh yeah it was good oh and he just looks distraught <laughs> Oh, Christian. Yeah. At this point, Christian goes to get frisky with this child, Maya. There's a lot of different reasons why this happens in this movie, I feel like. Like, I feel like it's kind of like half him being a selfish pig and half of him being under the sway of drugs and magic. But there's a lot of different reasons why this could be happening. He's also um, trying to ingratiate himself into this community because he wants to write his thesis all of a sudden. Ah, uh, yeah, on that's them. right. I forgot to mention that. It is kind of a plot point, and he does have a very tense discussion with Josh, which, as someone who works in academia, made me laugh really hard because Josh is like, "You didn't even know what JSTOR was," and it's like, <laughs> "How is this guy in a doctoral program and he doesn't know like one of the most like easy to access like de- databases for like." Uh, like peer-reviewed journals and stuff so it's like like christian's a fuck up like they very much established that he's just he's along for the ride and i think it works really well into like how his relationship with danny is going he's just along for the fucking ride yeah yeah no he's definitely uh just like having to go with it whether he likes it or not at this point Mm -hmm. and he goes off to get frisky with this child um, there's this synchronized moaning as he walks into this like barn with like flower petals everywhere, and there are like twenty different naked women of all different ages in there. And as he starts doing the act, they all start moaning in unison. I tip my hat on the weirdness on that one. Mm-hmm. Danny sees this happening, and she runs off. And has a group of women surrounding her as well. And as she starts this this keening, moaning, just anguish scene, they start just reveling in anguish with her as well. Um, which I thought was really good. And it, like, kind of... I feel like it hammered in that feeling of acceptance that I felt in, like, the adoration scene. Where she's like, oh, these people actually 
feel how I'm feeling right now. Um, and just from the context of this movie, we haven't had anyone kind of been, be able to relate with her emotionally, like at all. Yeah, totally agree. Nearing the end of the movie now, uh, Christian runs out at the bar naked for some reason. I can't remember. He finds Simon's corpse, or maybe corpse, his like flayed body just like hanging it's hard to describe but his organs are like outside of his body and we're not sure if he's alive or dead uh i i I noticed a recurring motive from hereditary that this this person had flowers stuffed in their eyes and when peter the son uh, was locked in the attic at the very end of hereditary he saw a picture of himself with his eyes burned out that was a nice little recurring motive i saw Anyway, Christian gets sedated by some, like, powder that gets blown into his face. And then they put him inside of a bear. <laughs> they, they, There's a scene where this guy is instructing uh, some children of the village how to uh, dress a bear. And they put Christian up in there. They give Danny the choice whether to sacrifice him or a random dude from the village. She obviously picks him. She's wearing this crazy fucking flower dress that I thought was one of the coolest things in this movie. She looks like a Gustav Klimt painting. It's it's all you can see is her face. Everything else is flowers. Yeah. It's ridiculous and gorgeous. We get to like the climax of the movie at this point. As we find out um that this uh sacred do not go into this temple temple is our wicker man of this movie. Um, we find out that this festival, one of its purposes is to bring outsiders in. The village sacrifices a few of their people and a few of the outsiders. And this scene is just amazing in so many ways. He gives one guy some yew, yew tree stuff and he says, feel no fear. He gives the other guy some, he says, feel no pain. I didn't notice that the first time I watched this. I didn't either. I thought it was both feel no pain. Nope. He said one pain, one fear. Okay. Um, And then dudes come in with torches and very stoically and in unison start lighting this place on fire. Christian is sewed up in the bear, unable to move or do anything but look around, I guess, was established from the medicine, or not medicine, but shit that they've gave him. Yeah, he's been given a paralytic. Yeah. Yeah. So he is completely conscious, but oh, unable to move. So good. Oh, that's yeah. That that shot as it pulls out. Yeah, it's just him burning up in this bear. The fire slowly spreading, spreading behind him. Some of the sacrifices aren't even whole bodily, and they're like mocked up, I guess, because of how they were killed. Mm-hmm. And Danny's in her May Queen outfit. And the two villagers kind of just like chilly look at each other and like smile at each other. As this pyre starts going up, the fire hasn't caught them yet. We get almost like a second of serenity here. Right. 
And this villager guy is just waiting so patiently for this. He, he, he got the, the no fear you, and he does not look scared at all. But his buddy is not having as good of a time. No. And as they hear his screams, they start... Do they hear his screams, scream. or do they feel his pain? Ooh. That's the impression I got from this. I figured as soon as they heard the screams, they were gonna... They, that's when they start enacting it. And, like, as an organism. I totally got that they were also reveling in pain. But I don't know. Okay. Right. And Danny is just choking for some reason. Like, even though she's not as connected with them. Yeah, she's, like, crying. She looks like a floral slug <laughs> in this beautiful fucked up gown. It's amazing. And as Danny regains her composure, we see a big old smile creep across her face. Yeah, she's in it to win it. She's part of the Hruga now. That's it. That's the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Fucking beautiful. So good. I'm sure we both have a lot we can say about these movies. Indeed. So we wanted to, because they're both so long, and they both have so much going into them, but they also uh, have a lot of, uh, intertextual similarities. We mm-hmm. kind of just wanted to do them as a unit and talk a, kind of about Ari Aster's work in general. Yeah, take us there. So he is in all of his movies, and this includes the student film that he uh, that he did uh, in his senior year of film school. They're all about fucked up family dynamics. Um, in this, I will I will not spoil the student film for you, but that family has. Yeah, I gotta watch it. Mad probs. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the hereditary family. The um, I don't remember their last name. Uh, they they are broken well before grandma comes back into the picture. Yeah, you know. Uh, and Danny's Danny, you know spends most of the movie not having a family, but you get the impression that her sister and her sister's mental illness has always been an issue. And she's always kind of been second fiddle to her sister and her sister's problems. And so you get the feeling that she's never had a cozy, a cohesive family unit where she was prioritized. Yeah. And it's, it's established like really early on in the movie. I feel like because Christian just in even in those first few minutes of the movie is like Danny she's always doing this like I'm sure it's fine Mm -hmm. she she does this every week and Danny's sister lives with her parents assuming they're taking care of her in some way or another and she just loses it all instantly where in hereditary that family is like trying to keep it together as much as they can and it all falls apart 
in the context of a movie almost within a few days it seems like totally yeah but it takes a much longer to get there to that falling apart point yeah and both of those the both of these movies are um stories of folks staying together either for convenience or out of obligation or to avoid conflict altogether because they just don't want to deal with it uh or you know there's a resignation almost to their situations that you know it it plays into like family dynamics and and how that can poison you because i think a lot of these families if they weren't the way they were these situations wouldn't have come about i don't know like i mean that's a tough i i I feel like that's a tough get because keep in mind though that grandma um queen lee uh grandma in hereditary she has been poisoning her family since she's had a family her yeah her goal presumably was to accomplish this task that the movie hereditary is about since before she even had a daughter she literally has kids to bring paimon yeah and like it's it's alluded to that she was trying to get the paimon into annie's older brother and annie's father who both end up dying like by suicide like like yeah and i guess you're right when you say that's it wouldn't have happened that way if that's not how they were, but I feel like it's just so far out of their control that it is... Because there is a cult controlling every aspect of their lives. Yeah, no, yeah, you got a good point. But yeah, it's 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 almost like a... But it feels a little bit like a condemnation of like, like deal with your shit. <laughs> deal with your shit so that you can talk and work things out. Totally. I mean, I really liked Hereditary for that reason for how by the end of the movie it really feels like the characters in the movie had no control over what was happening to them like they were just dolls in a dollhouse so to speak both both have themes of control and that can be uh my next point um so aster aster deals with traumas that you cannot imagine until they've happened to you I can't imagine losing my whole family. Um, I can't imagine having and raising a child up to 13 years and then losing them in a traumatic way. Um, And, you know, there's even like um, a sexual abuse theme in some of his earlier work, which you really cannot imagine it until it's happened to you. The effects that you're going to encounter should you yeah. survive that scenario and these are probably <clears throat> very different movies from the perspective of someone who has had those things happen to them who as boy well. is it uh <laughs> which is why i've been avoiding all these movies yeah. for a couple of years but just had to point that out yeah you know? yeah thank you for doing that but on a less personal note they are really about a loss of control and how scary that is like how terrifying that is um and you know, he uses like supernatural and, um, you know, in the case of Midsommar, uh, like nefarious means to like bring about the those loss of control events. But you kind of get the feeling that he is evoking that anxiety inducing idea that we have no control 
over what happens to us. Like that's just a, a human experience. Totally. You know? I do think that's why Hereditary kind of hit me a little in, in a little bit better of a spot because I really do feel like they had no control where mm-hmm. I remember when we were talking about Midsommar and it's like their friend uh, Mark, right? It's like, what is he even doing there? Like maybe he got stranded there and then he lost control, but their motives were definitely not as well flushed out as I would have liked mm-hmm. just for the length of the movie. Cause it was like, what is this character doing here? Like he has no place being here other than being like, the stupid person in the movie that dies the archetypal shitty american tourist (laughs) yeah yeah and i guess once they were there they were ostensibly trapped there i would agree with that and you can see um pellet kind of really hone in on those vulnerabilities uh and 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 milk them and totally yeah and i just i love the the last thing that I wanted to bring up, I love how he shows and doesn't tell. He is so good at this and it makes me so happy because you see so much media where there's lengthy dialogue describing pasts or whatever and he he doesn't really rely on that at all. Um, one of the notes that I had about Hereditary is, you know, Charlie's death scene is very graphic and I I wrote like I did not need to see this child get decapitated and then under that I did not need to see her decapitated head like covered in ants this is that is a lot here's the thing though he uses those graphic depictions because he said he doesn't want people to be wondering Oh, I wonder what that would look like. Oh, I wonder what happened there so much in his movies. What he wants you to do that with is the actual plot. Uh, I appreciate the gore. I appreciate the the spare like sparseness, sparsity. Sparsity? I I appreciate how sparse it is and how well it's executed when we see it. Mm -hmm. I also feel like in Hereditary, maybe the ants have some sort of deeper meaning that I'm not completely getting but maybe something you know like ants just do what they do they if they find something dead they will eat it and they will swarm on it and ants don't really have much control over what they do uh, yeah. so maybe that was something to do with the ants there there was only two scenes with ants swarming her kids but they were both very creepy yes yes I also thought it maybe had something to do with like Peter is is dead in in most senses because he is really just being groomed to be a host for Pyman. Yeah, and once he ac- accidentally kills his sister, he is just dead inside and just completely becomes unhinged. And I kind of feel like maybe there's like maybe something that we missed before that point in the movie because it's like that doesn't even feel like, it feels accidental, like he didn't mean to do it, but it also feels like it was supposed to happen. The and cult, it's like, who put that deer in the, the road? The cult you know? sets it up. Absolutely. The cult sets up that accident. Yeah, I just because didn't really catch how. You can you can see um, folks who are from that party, including the, the teenage girl that he's got the crush on, 
She's a cult member. She is? Oh, yes. I did not catch that. She's in, like, and so, so there's a reason there is a nut-filled cake at that party. There's yeah. a reason that um, the the sign for Paimon is on the um, the electrical pole that she loses her head on. Oh, wow. See, yeah, I didn't catch yeah. those little things. They literally have, they have not had control pretty much since the moment Charlie was born. I love it. It's so good. It's so much to pack into two hours of movie exactly. too. Exactly. Like, and he does such a good job. I am. I'm. Both of these movies. I was riveted from beginning to end of what the fuck is going on. What is going to happen to these people? Yep. Um. Yeah. And and so yeah, it, it goes back into that loss of control. They never had control. They had the illusion. Annie has the illusion that she can burn that book, and it'll mm-hmm. do something. She's already fucking done the ritual. Yeah. She just doesn't know it yet. She thinks she's she thinks her friend Joni is trying to help her connect with her dead daughter. Like nothing nothing that they are doing is not completely set into motion by these cult members. And it's it so blo- fucking it's, good. Oh, so that's the other thing that I love about Astro's work and this is like a fourth mini point. There is <laughs> nothing in these movies that he has not put in. There are no coincidences. Everything in the movies is placed very specifically. Yeah, it feels extremely well thought out. Oh, it's so good. Um, what did you think was the most extra thing about, I guess, either of these movies in particular or maybe just in general? So the the, the extraness is, I think, my, my three bigger points combined. It is the... Um, pointed and almost classy use of gore (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, to make people speculate more on the plot than they are on, you know, gotta see some gore. What, what, what what happened there? Um, It's uh, the themes. Both, both movies are, are movies about cults, but like two very different aspects of like cultist studies, you know, one being kind of more of a like, um, like Wiccan, um, Paimon is a real entity. Like yeah. that is that is a he is a real like in biblical, in biblical satanic yeah. lore, I suppose. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're a if you're a, a theological satanist, you believe in Paimon, and he is uh, an aspect you can pray to or worship. Um, so it's you know the the use of like real life stuff like that. Uh, that yeah. that gets you the heebie-jeebies, you know. Um, Jonestown happened, you know, and and <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like eight hundred fifty people died in Ghana, um, you know, because Jim Jones thought he was God, kind of deal, you know. Um, so you know, Midsummer has some very interesting realistic aspects. But he just he cranks it to eleven with the gore, with the like the psychodrama, like psychosexual, you know, like stuff. And totally. it's just ugh. Yeah. That's my opinion. Is that the, the extraness lies in his his themes and his uh his presentation. Dashiell, what's so gosh darn extra about Ari Aster? <laughs> I mean about Ari Aster, I I can't speak for that. Not um, the man, but maybe his body of work. Uh, in these movies, I think what I thought was the most extra about Hereditary, and goddamn it, I fucking love this movie so much. 
Um, really glad we got to talk about it. I I think the fact that the cult is like nine tenths like naked, dead, decapitated bodies is definitely my most extra thing in that movie. Uh, but there were so many scenes I liked. It's really hard to pin them down. And in Midsommar, like, yeah, just that esoteric weirdness and the sexual weirdness, like the weirdness of the syncopated moaning and also the syncopated, like, grieving was, I think, a really immaculate touch on the movie. They're very emotionally evocative. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It gets you right there in the in the creepy feels. Yeah. So I could totally see where that's an extra element. All right. Well, I think we can leave it there. We did it, Tyler. We did it. It's uh, two really good movies. If y'all haven't seen them, you should watch them. Trust us. We have not spoiled them as much as you think we have. There's so much going on in these. Agreed. If you enjoyed this show, make sure to tell a friend about us. Like and review us on Spotify, iTunes. Do what you do. And if you didn't like us, tell your enemies. Make them listen to us. Don't hesitate to send us an email over at movietimeextra at gmail.com. Tell us uh, what you think is extra. What do you, give us some movie recs. You know, we want to hear from you. Our theme song, once again, is by DJ Cutman. DJ Cutman in the house. Yes, thank you, you DJ check, Cut. You can check him out on Bandcamp. Please do. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.